Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Joseph Campbell once said, Find a place inside where there's joy, and the joy will burn out the pain. Good evening, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. What's happening tonight? What's going on? Well, Rick, our question for this evening is, is your heart looking for Jesus, the story of Zacchaeus? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. All right, so again, it's, is your heart looking for Jesus, the story of Zacchaeus? People want to be happy. They think about it, they talk about it, and they do things to find happiness. I mean, the United States Declaration of Independence speaks of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, we all want to be happy. But have you ever thought about joy? Have you ever heard of people wanting and pursuing joy in their lives? Happiness and joy have several similarities in that they are both elusive and often fleeting. But joy, well, there is something profoundly special about joy. You see, joy is deeper than happiness. It can become a state of mind that unequivocally transforms you. Now, here's the catch, and this is a big one. If you go looking for joy, you're actually pushing it further away from you. <laughs> like, well, now what am I supposed to do, right? <laughs> Build up this whole thing about joy. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, how do we find joy? Or more clearly stated, how do we let joy find us and change us in our everyday experiences? Hey, Rick, I have a question right up front for you. Okay. So what is the subject we're discussing tonight? Is it looking for Jesus? Is it joy? <laughs> is it all about Zacchaeus? Or is it happiness? Yes, it is. And really, what it boils down to, it is about finding joy in your life. And the story of Zacchaeus is a story that it's a really simple story, and you know, all the, the if you're if you're a, a Christian kid, you learn songs about Zacchaeus, the little guy who climbs the tree to see Jesus. But if you if you go through his life experience in this little story, we find a recipe for joy that is really very very powerful. So it's about the heart, it's about finding joy, and it's about the difference between happiness and joy. How's that? Great. Okay, so. So let's let's get started. Let's try to put some of this into a basic perspective, some basic background. Happiness, as we know it today, is an emotional feeling of delight or enjoyment, and therefore is not likely present when things go sour. So, Jonathan, when things aren't going well, you're not generally happy, are you? No, sir. <laughs> 
And and you know, when things are going bad, have you ever tried to say, "Okay, I'm just I'm going to be happy?" Uh, not really. <laughs> because <laughs> because it's the furthest thing from your mind. Exactly. Okay. See, the and it's interesting because the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time on the kind of happiness that we always talk about, you know, that emotional feeling. The Bible actually uses the word happy to mean blessed. And there's something very different about that because when you're blessed, it's not necessarily an emotional experience. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the Beatitudes, blessed, are and hap- blessed or happy are you when men persecute you. I mean, you're not happy when somebody's persecuting you, right? No way. But you are blessed if they're persecuting you for the cause of Christ. Absolutely. So... It's the emotional thing that we're all looking for. The Bible really doesn't focus a lot on that. And you think, well, why doesn't the Bible spend a lot of time on that? And I think the answer to that is because it's not nearly as important as joy. It's mm. not nearly as important as being blessed. But that's not our subject this morning. So this morning, this evening, what, what time is it? I don't know. Where am I? <laughs> What's going on? So, so joy, as we know today, is more of a state of mind than a feeling and therefore can be present even when circumstances are bad. Well, Rick, Jewel and I were trying to think of an example of this, of being really joyful. And we had the privilege of having my mother-in-law live with us for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, sadly, she was dying of cancer and on hospice. We were thankful she was able to stay in our home instead of going to a facility. And she had such a strong faith and uh, a, a wonderful hope that she would share it uh, with all of the people that came to visit and take care of her. And um, she shared the kingdom promises with them. Now, that brought her true joy to share her hope with others. And the love and care she received from the hospice family and friends and seeing God's overrulings in the experience brought us peace and her peace. Rick, I think peace leads to joy, and I think they're somehow connected. Uh, you know what? They absolutely, absolutely are connected. And, and that's a great example because your mom, I remember her very, very well, and she was never comfortable physically in that situation. You're right. But she exuded joy. Absolutely. How do you do that? Well, we're going to get into Zacchaeus actually teaching us how to do that. So first of all, let's go to a soundbite from uh, Mel Robbins, and she's talking about very simply, the big difference between happiness and joy. And what is it that brings me joy? It's actually being present. So I'm standing right here in front of these insane French lilacs, and I could have just suffered a terrible tragedy, but the smell, the aroma that these beautiful flowers bring in the spring, that creates this state of joy. So again, happiness is a feeling that we're all chasing, Joy is a state of mind and a state of being that you can cultivate by being present and grateful for the things that are around you. So she says it very clearly. Joy is a state of mind. Uh, And so to be truly joyful in life is to live in a very full but hard to get to way. We all want to live our lives fully. Yeah, we want to be present, like right, she said. Right, right. So be now. How do you fully be in the present so you can fully experience it? Because that's where joy comes from. And again, it's a state of mind. And she was saying, even in her experience, where she may have experienced a tragedy, this the fragrance of those flowers could have brought this state of mind that that stepped above 
her present tragedies. That's what joy is. And you're right, joy and peace are very, very, very closely related. Let's go to another soundbite. Uh, we'll do these two really close together. This is from Dr. Brene Brown. She is brilliant. She is a researcher. We've used her before, Jonathan, with some of her TED Talks. I think we did programs on shame and guilt, and she is vi- she's spent years researching things like shame and guilt and love and joy and so forth. So she is, um, in this particular sound, soundbite, she's actually uh, on, on Oprah's Sunday program talking to her about joy. And listen to what she says because, you know, we're saying joy. It's such a great place. It's such a great thing to, to look to have in your life. Well, listen to what she says about joy. There is no joy without gratitude. No, and he, you know what's tricky? But As someone who studies shame and scarcity and fear, mm-hmm. I will tell you that if you ask me what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion that we experience as humans, yes. Yes. I would say joy. You would say that the most terrifying is joy? No question. Why? You know, I, I often ask parents, I say, uh, you know, I'll have 5,000 parents or something in the audience, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever stood over your child while he or she was sleeping and thought to yourself, I love you like I didn't know was possible. Yeah, yeah. And then in that split second, picture something horrific happening well, to your child. something happened to you, yes, yeah. How many of you have ever set up and said, wow, work's going good, good relationship with my partner, Yeah. parents seem to be doing okay? Uh-huh. Holy crap. What's going to happen? Yes. Right. So what is that? You know what that is? What is that? When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability. Lose our tolerance for vulnerability, yeah. Joy becomes foreboding. Now that, that's something that's going to need some explaining. And we're actually going to talk about that throughout the entire program. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. So in the beginning, Jonathan, I mentioned that joy is fleeting. It's something that you ha- it finds you, but it's not necessarily going to stay with you because our tolerance for vulnerability makes it so that joy en- ends up exiting our lives again. And the thing is, to be able to be joyful means you must learn to be vulnerable. And nobody, you, you don't even like the sound of the word vulnerable. You're right. And fear has a lot to do with that, doesn't it? Right, right. Because we're afraid of what comes of our vulnerability. And that's why the story of Zacchaeus is such a powerful story on vulnerability and joy. So this story of Zacchaeus is a story of a man who found joy through a life-changing but very unexpected vulnerability. He wasn't looking to be vulnerable. He wasn't looking for joy, but he found both of those things and it completely changed his life for the better. So let's get started with the story of Zacchaeus, which is going to be the theme for tonight as we look at how do we become joyful in our lives. And, you know, Sometimes you think about this and you think, well, this is really corny, you know? They're talking about being joyful. Well, it is life-changing. Stay with us for this. You've got, you, you got to stay with us. Let this unfold through this story. Uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 10, but we're just going to take verses 1 and 2 to start with. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Okay, so we really need to set the context here. We've got to get all the pieces in place. First of all, 
let's talk about the city of Jericho. And we're, we're going to go to so, to the commentator uh, McGee on this for some, for some comments. The city of Jericho, Jonathan, what, what can we learn about this? In Jesus' day, it was like a resort area, the Las Vegas of that time. Many people spent their vacations there. Here the publicans lived. The publicans were like the modern mafia. They were tax gatherers and were despised. Now, I'm not going to, you know, he says they're like the modern mafia. It's not that they were illegal, okay, but what they were doing was not a happy thing. Now, they were skimming off the top, so they were performing some illegal activities, but they were doing legal work according to the Roman government. Well, they had power and control over the people. And they had power and control over the people's money. Yeah. And when you have power and control over somebody's purse strings, you know, generally the response to that isn't really, really that good. So so Jericho is this city where a lot of people kind of go in and out of, in and out of, uh, and the tax gatherers, a lot of them lived there, and they were not looked upon kindly by the average person. The man Zacchaeus, what does, what, what's, the, a, lot, a lot of times in the Bible you have a, a name mean something. What does Zacchaeus mean? Well, Rick, it means pure. And, and that's kind of interesting because oftentimes when we look at biblical stories and we see these accounts, what we will see is the definition of, of, of somebody's name really helps to exemplify what that person's story is about. And with Zacchaeus, this ends up being important because what we're going to find out is even though he wasn't doing good things, he actually had underneath it all, he did have a pure heart. Jesus was able to zero in on that pure heart, and in exchange for zeroing in on that, gave him vulnerability and then gave him joy. And we're going to see how that all worked. So the man Zacchaeus, the name actually means pure. Now, he was a chief tax collector. That was his occupation. Commentary from Russell on this. The chief, probably employing under collectors to assist him in his contract, a prominent one amongst them and rich. He had accepted a minor office under the Roman government. He was a tax collector for the Romans, a publican. On this account, he was despised and declared to be disloyal to Judaism. So he's of Jewish descent, but because he's working for the Roman government and taking the people's money, he's despised. He's not just, it's like, you know, let's ignore him. He's despised. He is absolutely disliked for what he's doing. He's working with the Roman government. He's cheating the people as well, and none of that adds up to being you know, friends and neighbors with everybody around because you're taking from them. So we've got the city of Jericho, the man Zacchaeus, the name actually means pure. The occupation was chief tax collector, a very high-ranking occupation, which wasn't being executed with pure honesty. And so what was the status here? What does Barnes say about that? He was rich. Though this class of men was despised and often infamous, yet it seems that they were sometimes wealthy. They sustained, however, the general character of sinners because they were uh, particularly odious in the eyes of the Jews. Okay, so being rich made it even worse because the average person certainly wasn't rich in those days. All right, let's go back to Brene Brown. This is going to be from a TED Talk that she gave on the price of invulnerability. So in other words, the price of not being vulnerable. So we're just going to sort of drop in near the beginning of this TED Talk to, to try and understand why vulnerability is such an important and positive thing. This is not, the fatalistic 
response is not universal. We're not all like that. But it is a symptom of an issue that is both universal and, I believe, profoundly dangerous. And that is we are losing our tolerance for vulnerability. And in our culture, we, what, what, what do we think is synonymous with vulnerability? Weakness. And I'm going to talk about how that's not the case tonight. Vulnerability is absolutely at the core of fear and anxiety and shame and very difficult emotions that we all experience. But vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, of love, of belonging, of creativity, of faith. And so it becomes very problematic when, as a culture, we lose our capacity to be vulnerable. So she's being very, very clear there. Vulnerability very much is, is something that we want to avoid, but some types of vulnerability are actually very good for us. Again, we have to develop that as we go. So the call to follow Jesus brings massive vulnerability, and Zacchaeus was not the only tax collector to experience that. Mark chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. As he passed by, he saw Levi, Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they f- were following him. See, now all these tax collectors together, they're, fo- they're, they're sitting and dining with Jesus, and outside their door is not a good situation. The Pharisees are saying, Oh, look at that. He's eating with the sinners. What's going on with that? better. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? Coming up, what kind of vulnerability can bring us to a joyful state of mind? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today's episode, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. And Christian Questions is the voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So we're talking about joy. To get to living your life with joy, which is a transforming experience, you have to learn to be able to be vulnerable. Now, all vulnerability is not something that's good or you know, and, and something that we, we, we search for. But you can't get to joy without first being vulnerable. So let's get into the story of Zacchaeus. I'm sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, Rick, early on um, you brought out that you were talking about happiness and joy. Yes. And the, what is a practical example of the difference of the two? All right. Happiness, again, is, is an emotion. Tonight is, is Dominic's, my grandson's, ninth birthday. So before the podcast tonight, we went over to, to their house, and we were there for this little birthday party, and Dominic was truly happy. 
I mean, he's excited. He's standing up on the chair dancing, you know, and just <laughs> he's being a comedian. He just was happy. Now, his mom, Amy, um, had joy. There was a difference because there she's got her nine-year-old son who's so happy. She's got the little baby who's 11 months old, and she's having a really good time, and she's, uh, you know, crawling on the floor. And you, you just look at Amy's face, and there is sheer joy in her face. It's, it's not coming out with the, with the exuberance of Dominic's happiness, but it is a stable state of mind that sees and appreciates and is transformed by the presence of her children. That's nice, the difference. Nice example. That's the difference. So let's get back to it. Luke 19, let's go back to the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, we, we've sort of set up who he is, what he is, what he does. Luke 19, verses 3 and 4. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. I love Zacchaeus. <laughs> Wonder why, <laughs> big guy. <laughs> I know what it's like to be short in stature. I know all about that. Now, see, here's a man on a mission. Perhaps, and, and you know, we don't know what was provoking him at this point. Perhaps he had heard or even seen the previous Jericho experience uh, with, with the blind men. This was not too, too long before this, and you can find it in Matthew 20, 29 to 34. This was blind Bartimaeus, so there was another guy there that was blind. Jesus comes through Jericho. The crowd's all yelling and screaming and cheering and all of this, and Jesus heals these two. Maybe Zacchaeus was in that crowd. Maybe he couldn't see. Maybe he couldn't get close enough. Now, several commentators, when talking about the story of Zacchaeus, said that he was curious. I don't think that he was just curious. Not based on the previous events, not based on the story itself, not based on the definition of his name. Um, his sincere reaction to Jesus and Jesus' proclamation to him afterwards make him much, much, much more than a curiosity seeker. And I think that's important. He saw something really special in Jesus. He Let's, had a desire. He did. And we're going to see how that desire made him very vulnerable, even though he was trying to avoid that. And we're going to see what he did with that vulnerability, which brought him a joy that transformed his life. Let's go back to McGee in terms of setting the stage, if you will, for Zacchaeus in Jericho. The crowd is coming and he wants to be able to see Jesus this time. When I was in Jericho, I took a good look at a sycamore tree. It was a slick bark, and it is always a long way to the first limb. This is a difficult tree to climb, and I think this little man had a hard time climbing a tree like this. Zacchaeus sweated it out, but finally got up the tree and settled down on a limb among the leaves. He thought he was secluded there, and he had a private box for the parade. He waited, sure enough. Jesus came by. So we don't know, but you know, it does kind of give you a sense of this would have been a tough task. Yeah. So you can imagine he really wants to see Jesus. He just wants to gaze upon this man, Jesus. And so he sees this tree and he figures, okay, I'm too short to see him in the crowd. But if I was in the tree, I could get, no pun intended, a bird's eye view <laughs> of Jesus coming down the street. So maybe it was a real struggle to climb. Maybe he had to have somebody help him get up the tree. We don't know. But it took an effort to position himself for what? Just to see Jesus. So that brings us through our program today, tonight, Jonathan. We're going to have several steps 
of joy, steps to true joy. What's the first step that we want to bring out here in this part of the story? Vulnerability can lead to joy when it is triggered by our seeking to understand something of great magnitude that has presented itself to our life. So the idea of something really special, something of tremendous magnitude presenting itself in our lives, that creates a dilemma. Because usually when something like that happens, there has to be some kind of vulnerability to go explore what it is. And vulnerability can lead to joy if it's triggered by something like, there's something I've got to investigate there. I've never seen this before. I've never heard this before. This is a new idea. This is a new person. This is a new thought, whatever it is. And you have to step out from your normal life. You have to step out from where you are, what you do, how you think, and you have to be different. You have to be vulnerable, and that can trigger the pathway to true joy. To our listeners right now, we'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. Call us at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. You can also leave us a voicemail 24-7 or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So let's go back to Brene Brown. She, again, is a masterful researcher on human emotions. And in this TED Talk on joy, uh, she's really helping us understand the vulnerability part of joy. One of the symptoms that we're losing our capacity for vulnerability is that joy actually becomes foreboding. Something good happens or we're looking at someone we love, or we're thinking about something we care about, and then we become compelled to beat vulnerability to the punch. Other symptoms. Disappointment as a lifestyle. It is much easier to live disappointed than it is to feel disappointment. We sidestep getting excited about something because we're not sure it's actually going to happen. Low-grade disconnection is another symptom um, of vulnerability avoidance. Um, we go through the motions. It's like low-grade fever. Um, it may not kill us, but it keeps us pretty miserable. Perfection is one of the, I, I call it the 200-pound shield. How can anything go wrong if my life looks like an ad? I'm going to perform and please and make sure everything's perfect. So she goes through these several, several uh, aspects of things that get in the way because we want to beat vulnerability to the punch. You know, something good may be coming and then we start to, to second guess the, the excitement and, and the willingness to go out on a limb. And, you know, she said something really interesting in the beginning. It said, it's much easier to live disappointed than to be disappointed. And how often do we want to avoid being disappointed so we will reduce our expectations, we won't think it about it so much, we'll just put it on the back burner so that if it doesn't happen, well, okay. Well, Rick, isn't that really a form of pride? Yeah, actually, I, go, ahead, go ahead. You know, you're, you're not being willing, and, and you're, you're looking, oh, woe is me. You're beating yourself up, and, and it's really, it, it seems to me like it, it's pride for not 
stepping out. Well, so what you're saying is you're protecting yourself because yourself is more important what the, than what the potential is. Exactly. And, and yeah, it is It is kind of a, an obtuse form of pride, but you're right. It's kind of interesting. And the thing is that we don't want the vulnerability. So by sacrificing the vulnerability, we also sacrifice the joy. And that is a really, really sad situation. So let's take a look at, you know, we, we have... Zacchaeus running ahead and climbing the sycamore tree so he can just see Jesus. Let's do a couple of lessons in contrast uh, with other individuals seeing Jesus. First lesson in contrast is Herod, the powerful, what I call, curiosity seeker. Luke 23, verses 8 and 9. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. So it's interesting. Herod was really glad when Jesus came around. Why was he glad? Because he had wanted to see some sign performed. Like, okay, this guy's got a reputation for performing miracles. Show me some magic. Yeah, that's exactly it. Show me what you got. Show Instead me... of Zacchaeus, his pure heart. Who just pure. wanted to see Jesus, the miracle worker. Big difference. So, so you're right. Herod looks at it like, show me some magic. And Zacchaeus' attitude is, I just want to see the miracle worker. The, the attitude of Herod is, maybe he'll perform for me. The attitude of Zacchaeus is, I want to stay hidden in the leaves of the tree. I just want to see him. He is a great man. I've never heard of anything like this. What a tremendous, tremendous difference. For Herod... Jesus was a form of entertainment. That's all he was. He was just a form of entertainment. And Herod was powerful. He could have gone to see Jesus. But he waited till Jesus was brought to him. Zacchaeus went far out of his way to see Jesus. Let's do another lesson in contrast. Let's look at another rich man. Okay, same situation. Another rich man. But this rich man, who had been, had been living in a very noble way, which is very different than Zacchaeus had been living. This is the rich young ruler, uh, the story found in Matthew 19, 16 to 22. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may attain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Okay, so, so you set it up. The man comes before Jesus, and he says, and he's respectful. What good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? So Jesus says to him, well, you, you're, 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 you're of the Jewish faith. You should be following the commandments. And he rattles off several of the commandments that have to do with his fellow man. And, and his response is, well, I've been doing this. I mean, I, I work really hard at living like this. What am I lacking? So he knows that Jesus is very wise. When Jesus gives him a response to a really good question, he says, okay, this is something that I'm doing. I know I'm still not there. What else is there? And so you can see there's a sincerity here. There really is. So very different than Pilate. 
Oh, for sure. Okay. Oh, um, from Herod. Yeah. Uh, Herod. I knew that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so now, verse 21, what, what's, what's Jesus' response? Now that he said, okay, Master, you know, I, I do these things already. Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So Jesus sees him, and you know, and you said felt a love for him. Now that wasn't in the Matthew account, but that was added, I think, in the Mark account. Mm-hmm. So, and that's an important. I think that's an important line to have it in is. there. It, yes. So, because Jesus appreciated this young man, he appreciated his sincerity. He appreciated his desire, and he saw that he really wanted to know. So Jesus, being Jesus, told him what he needed to know. Okay, I know, because Jesus could read his heart, I know that you are attached to your wealth. So Jesus is essentially saying to this rich young ruler, you need to become extremely vulnerable to be able to attain eternal life. So go sell all that you have. Sell everything, and then come and follow me. He didn't have enough faith to step forward. He wasn't ready to let go. So for some, Jesus had great appeal, but they would not let that appeal translate into vulnerability. And see, that's the key. We have to allow the appeal of whatever it is that comes before us in our lives that that can be really magnificent translate into the vulnerability of doing or changing whatever we need to so we can become part of it. That's where vulnerability comes in. You have to have that before you have joy. Think of the joy he lost. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it really is dramatic when you see the joy that Zacchaeus gained, and he wasn't even expecting it. And, and again, we'll, we'll get to that in a little while. Let's go back to Brene Brown with the TED Talk on the price of invulnerability. She just listed off several things that we try to beat vulnerability to the punch with. So now she's going to... Um, Expand on that a little bit in terms of, you know, where vulnerability or the lack or or hiding from it ends up taking us. Extremism. There's a very simple equation. Faith minus vulnerability equals extremism. Faith is the vulnerability that flows between the shores of certainty. Faith without vulnerability Spirituality is inherently vulnerable. It is believing in things we don't, we don't understand or really can't see. So it's interesting. She says faith minus vulnerability equals extremism. And, you know, you see that with um, uh, a lot of extreme radicals in religion today. They will not be vulnerable to anybody telling them anything about anything that they believe. They have a cut and dry way of looking at things, so they have their faith, but they take the vulnerability away, and to keep that faith, they must be extreme. And that's not a good type of extremism. See, our faith should be built on an extremism that is valuable and deep and spiritual, not self-protective. Again, we have to be vulnerable in our faith. We can develop comfort with vulnerability if we develop an ability to adopt God's promises as tools to focus us through vulnerability's discomfort so we we can become open to the joy on the other side of it. Jonathan, throughout the program, we're going to introduce vulnerability bridge promises. 
In other words, how do you get over the vulnerability of your life? And one of the ways to do it is to apply the promises of God. This is a great bridge promise, Matthew 6, and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this vulnerability bridge promise says, whatever is going on in your life, whatever the difficulty, look, just focus on the kingdom first. You, yes, Jesus is saying, I want you to be vulnerable. Because in being vulnerable, if you seek first the kingdom, you can allow God to add these things to you as he sees you have need for. Not as you feel you have need for, but as he sees you have need for. That means I'm vulnerable, and a lot of times I don't like that. I don't want to be vulnerable in that situation. I don't want to have to have it his way, because I want it my way. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? Coming up. So, there you are, a grown man, sitting in a tree, awkward. Do you start to doubt? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, I understand we have somebody on the line. That's right, Rick. We'd like to welcome Vicki this evening. Vicki's been around a long time helping Christian Questions. And what's most memorable to us is when Vicki shared her experiences with her cancer several years ago in a two-part program uh, titled, What is the Fruit of Your Life? in 2014. So welcome, Vicki. Thank you very much for having me. So can you share, um, from a woman's perspective, uh, our subject for tonight, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus?, Well, it's interesting because as I was studying this, I started to think immediately about Apostle Paul and how he says to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I'm, I'm thinking about Apostle Paul, and I'm thinking, here's a man who sings in prison, so he knows how to be, um, how to be filled with joy and gratitude. <clears throat> Here is also a man who was real. He didn't try to pretend that he was anything that he wasn't, and he didn't try to pretend to be more holy or more altogether than anyone else was. He was transparent and he was vulnerable. He was quick to admit his faults and he was uh, quick to draw on the grace of God to learn and work hard to do better. 
He even admitted to others probably his largest regret, which I think probably was in the stoning of Stephen, where he allowed them to put their coats at his feet. Um, and you can read more about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Uh, but we know that God gives us everything that we need. You guys were just talking about the promises, and it's from those promises that we know that we have everything that we need to be his people. We have his grace. We have his peace. We have his strength. We have his mercy, and we have his joy. But we have to remain in him and do things his way. So, yes, we must be vulnerable, but we must be vulnerable his way, not in a way that the world may tell us to be by being different to different people, depending on who we're trying to impress at the moment or what we're trying to gain. In the world, we're told to pick and choose who to be transparent with, to pick and choose who to be real with. But God's way, we have to be transparent to everyone. We have to be real with everyone. Now, I'm not saying being real and transparent with everyone means that we're supposed to tell our deepest, darkest struggles and battles with everyone. But I obviously, I think that's different. But I do think that we need to, um, just that God doesn't want us to try and look perfect to anybody. He wants us instead to realize that it's our greatest weakness, that God is in our greatest weakness, that God has given the most glory if we can but use his strength. And I really appreciate your discussion of Dr. Benet Brown. I think she's she's done some very marvelous work. One of the things I appreciate her saying is when perfection is driving, shame is always riding shotgun <laughs> and fear the annoying backseat driver. <laughs> and, you know, so for those of uh, those perfectionists out there, that's that's really something for us to think about. But true vulnerability, God's way, where we don't have to hand select who we can be transparent with, is only possible because of who God is and because of his faithfulness. If we try to be vulnerable in and of ourselves, we're sure to be hurt by those friends who aren't capable or who don't know how to deal with such honesty. Since the Garden of Eden, man and woman <laughs> have been innately shameful. Trying to hide, we place a barrier between ourselves and God. That is not what God intended. If, and if we read uh, what God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 again, he said, my power is made perfect in weakness. Think about what that means. It means vulnerability is no longer a negative. It's no longer seen as an unwelcome weakness, but instead it's the ultimate permission from us to allow God to work in through and for us. And I pray wholeheartedly that I can learn to be more like Paul, that I can embrace my vulnerability and just assume that if I get hurt, I needed to learn the lesson. If I made a fool of, perhaps I had been prideful. If I was angry, then um, perhaps I need to learn patience. I want to keep my eyes wide open to learn what my almighty heavenly father is teaching me. I want to be willing to feel the pain it takes to have him teach it to me so that his power can be perfected in my weakness. So I just don't ever want to forget that scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where Paul's because we know how strong Paul was. We really do. And, and so he was for him to talk about weakness is kind of like, yeah, OK. <laughs> and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, Vicki, thank you so much. Paul's example gives me strength, too. And my wife and I chose our son's name to be Paul for that very reason. And so, what uh, he is. And thank it. you. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Really appreciate you being with us tonight. Thank you, guys, and keep on keeping on. I need this. All right, Vic, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And really great comments there. You know, the power the power of, of, of God's will in our lives creates us vulnerability, but that's the vulnerability that brings us to joy. So, exactly. like what you said, bring it on. <laughs> I want that. And that's what the lesson of Zacchaeus is. Thanks again, Vic. We appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, Jonathan, good, good, good thoughts there. Uh, you know, Absolutely. The, the idea of, of the Apostle Paul's greatest regret, uh, and I think she's right, you know, his greatest regret created, the, the thing about his greatest regret is he shared it with other people. And it gave him strength to do more. Right. He was incredibly vulnerable by sharing that. Yes, he was. And that gave him strength. And you're, you're right about that. Let's go to, the, you don't want to try this at home. Okay, this is a, an old song for guys like us. This is from our, our, our day and our age. But it's a song about hiding away from vulnerability. It's a song about holding up in, in, in your own little cocoon of life so nobody can hurt you. Um, I'm not going to tell you the name of the song. We're just going to play one verse of it right now. You'll recognize it uh, when you hear it. A winter's day In a deep and dark Okay, Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock. The idea is I have no need of anyone because it just causes pain. Translation, I am not willing to be vulnerable because vulnerability can hurt. Leave me alone. That is a, that is a life that is completely devoid of joy. It's sad. It is. It is tragic. And that's the kind of thing that we do. And that's why we chose that particular song, because it really exemplifies what can happen to us. Let's go back to the story of Zacchaeus, because he didn't go down that road. Uh, Luke 19, now verses uh, 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Okay, so typical Jesus. He recognizes the sinner. He recognizes him from the inside out. He reads his heart. He reads his mind. And he sees him before him. And he calls him by name and says, hey, I want to hang out with you. Okay, this is typical Jesus. He sees the man's heart and he seizes upon the man's heart. Let's go back to McGee for some commentary because this is kind of funny here the way he writes this. When our Lord looked up into the sycamore tree and saw Zacchaeus, I think he laughed. It is true that the text does not say that he did, but it is difficult to read this account without seeing the humor in it. The Lord looked into the tree as if to say, well, Zacchaeus, you wanted to see me. You really worked hard to get up into that tree. Now make haste and come down. Make haste. This poor fellow had spent half a day getting up into the tree, but it did not take long for him to get down. So Jesus is challenging him to be vulnerable. Now this is a vulnerability nightmare. I mean, you've been up in a tree, you might be scraped and sc- scratched, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you're probably not dressed the way you want to be, and you're standing in front of the man you were trying to get a glimpse of because of his greatness. I mean, how, how do I look? What are the people going to think? What's, Zacchaeus was entirely vulnerable. So he hurried. He hurried down from the tree. The word means to make haste or to desire earnestly. It says he was happy to, 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 um, to, to greet and welcome Jesus. The word for happy is the word that is actually bigger than happy. It's used for rejoice. And again, rejoicing is not necessarily emotional. Let's look at Philippians 2, 17 and 18 as an example of that. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So the word for joy is that word for the same word that uh, that Zacchaeus says he was happy. It was I, I'm sharing my 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 conviction of the way I live my life with you, even if my life is not in undergoing happy things. That's what Zacchaeus felt at this point. So he was not saying, "Oh no, you know, you can't come to my house. I haven't cleaned it up. I wasn't expecting company. This oh, is it's not a mess. Yeah, right? No. <laughs> you know, it's not convenient. It's not right. That that that. We don't have enough uh, food here for everyone. He immediately was vulnerable and jumped at the opportunity. He jumped at the opportunity. He was not ruled by the scarcity of vulnerable thinking. So what do we mean by that? Let's go back to Brene Brown, uh, and, and she's going to talk to us a little bit here about being ruled by scarcity. What is driving this intolerance for vulnerability in us? And I believe the answer is scarcity. We live in a culture that tells us that there is never enough, that we are not enough, that we are not good enough, that we are not safe enough, that we can never be certain enough, that we're not perfect enough. And maybe the one that, that, that we really don't talk about that I think is perhaps the most dangerous is that we are not extraordinary enough. In this world, somehow an ordinary life has become synonymous with a meaningless life. That's so sad. And that is not the direction we want to or need to go here. So that brings us to our next step to true joy. What is it, Jonathan? Once we become vulnerable, it is likely that the vulnerability will grow and even begin to feel ominous. It is at this point where we must choose between caving into fear or 
growing into joy. See, vulnerability creates opportunities for choice. That's such a key thing here. Now, perhaps Zacchaeus, shown to be pure in heart, was focused on 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 being able to teach, the, uh, learn these lessons on several levels. Okay, perhaps Jesus is using him to show us several kinds of lessons. First of all, blessings come to those whose heart is right in spite of their circumstances. Zacchaeus's heart was right in spite of circumstances. Secondly, contrasting the occupation and heart of Zacchaeus with the average person of higher stature and lower heart. It doesn't matter what your stature is. It matters where your heart is and what you're looking to try to do with that heart toward godliness, to plow through vulnerability to find the joy. So that brings us to, for the last uh, part of this uh, first hour, another vulnerability bridge promise. Now for this promise, because we are in Christ, we become extraordinary. Remember she was talking about, you know, sometimes the scarcity makes uh, an ordinary life just worthless. That's not the case. We become extraordinary by God's grace. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. And see, with Zacchaeus, he was, he was the base things of the world. He was the things that were despised. And, you know, not only being the base and despised, but being called down from a tree is certainly a humbling experience for a grown man. Come down from that tree right now, sir. You know, and I want to go have dinner at your house. Very humbling, but thrilling, vulnerable experience. Let's finish the verse. So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's the key to this humble experience. This vulnerability bridge promise is basically saying, look, folks, God knows that we come from ordinary backgrounds, from an ordinary existence, with ordinary things, but he makes us extraordinary by his grace, if we are willing to walk through the vulnerability necessary to get to that point. That's really what all of this actually comes down to, is being willing to walk through the vulnerability to get there. The and folks, geez, that's not the right uh, break. <laughs> anyway, we will be back in just a few minutes for the second hour. Until then, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions. Is your heart looking for Jesus? Do you have the sense of following after him first, walking through the vulnerability to get to the joy? We'll be back soon, but till then, think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jim Rohn once said, The walls we build around us to keep sadness out also keeps out the joy. Good evening, welcome back, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different 
perspective. And Jonathan, the topic on the table this evening is... Is your heart looking for Jesus? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. So we are talking about the story of Zacchaeus. We're talking about the story of this short little man who sought to just lay his eyes on Jesus because he knew that there was something incredibly special. He ended up being very vulnerable in that situation because Jesus saw him, called him out, recognized him, and Zacchaeus embraced the vulnerability. He embraced the potential embarrassment of the moment and ended up his life being transformed so he could live with joy. Really, we're talking about finding joy in our lives. Not happiness, but joy. Joy is different than happiness because joy changes the way you live. And you said it earlier, Jonathan, joy and peace are very, very, very closely related. So steps to true joy. Um, We had a couple of steps to true joy and a couple of vulnerability bridge promises in the first hour, Jonathan. Let's just quickly recap those. Vulnerability can lead to joy when it is triggered by our seeking to understand something of great magnitude that has presented itself in our life. Being vulnerable is not comfortable, but it's necessary if we see something that is going to require us to change to be able to find out about it. And it's necessary if we want to find the joy on the other side of vulnerability. You can't have joy in your life unless you experience vulnerability first. That's just the rule of living. Now, a vulnerability bridge promise was Matthew six thirty-three and 34. That's right. That was, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right, and these other things will be added to you. That's a, being yes. vulnerable. That's, that means that you don't get to choose which things you get to put in order. You have to let God do it for you. That's vulnerable. That's scary. And we don't like scary, but we want joy. You have to plow through scary to get to joy. Uh, step, and the second step to true joy uh, from the first hour, Jonathan, was what? Once we become vulnerable, it is likely that the vulnerability will grow and even begin to feel ominous. It is at this point where we must choose between caving into fear or growing into joy. So vulnerability brings opportunity to make choices, to cower before the vulnerability or plow through it knowing that there is pure joy on the other side of it. And the vulnerability bridge promise was uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brethren, not many wise, not many noble. We're the base of this world. (laughs) Right. But what happens to the base of this world? They are blessed extraordinarily and their ordinary lives become extraordinary. You're right. But you have to be willing to be vulnerable first to get to that extraordinary life. So that's where we um, are are, are, uh, positioning ourselves in terms of the understanding of vulnerability, the, the relationship between vulnerability and joy. So let's go back to Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 7. We're talking about the story of Zacchaeus. Um, so let's go to 19, verse 7. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be with the guest of one who is a sinner. So uh, now here is you have the typical average sinful man um, 
who is is going to be in a situation where they're looking at what's happening with um, they're looking at what's happening with Zacchaeus and with Jesus, and they're saying, okay, you know, this isn't good. They are judging from the outside in. Uh, this thinking and judgment becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for both those who were judging and those whom were being judged. It just happens that because you have that judgmental attitude, you fulfill that prophecy on both ends and nobody wins. Jonathan, we have a call. Let's go to uh, Julius from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you, Rick, and good evening, Jonathan, also. Good evening to both of you. Uh, I'm delighted to share with you that uh, I have uh, had correspondence from Australia, way, way down Australia, and uh, they uh, mentioned that uh, they heard me. <laughs> they heard me on Christian questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was delighted to hear that. They listened to your program, evidently. Well, I guess that's and, the only uh, way to hear we you. We heard about <laughs> Christian questions, uh, uh, you know, on your podcast. Uh, I'd like to go back just briefly to uh, the example you gave with uh, the mother, Amy, and the young uh, boy, uh, Dominic. Yes. And this is my analysis of that, a quick, quick, uh, very quick analysis. That is, uh, Dominic uh, experienced happiness because he was the recipient. Amy experienced the joy because she was the giver. And uh, I'd like to uh, refer, give you one scripture on that, and that is uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7. 2 Corinthians 9-7. I'll just quote part of it. Uh, It says that uh, our God loves a cheerful giver. The child, the recipient, the mother, the giver. (laughs) God loves a giver. (laughs) So it is, a, it is a joy that comes from God, uh, obviously. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Julius. We really appreciate it. Take care. You know, Jonathan, and that, wise words from Julius. You know, the, the giver is, is the one who can really find the joy. But again, you have to be able to get through the vulnerability to be able to do the giving. Because what if? What if the gift isn't received? What if you don't give well enough? What if, what if, what if? That's all the vulnerability. We're all insecure. But it doesn't mean we can't find a way through it to get to the joy on the other side. Julius, thanks so much. Good thoughts there. Very, very good thoughts. Jonathan, let's get back to uh, the, the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody who saw what was happening between Zacchaeus and Jesus, they start to grumble. And uh, look, this was, not diff- this was not unusual for the Pharisees. A couple of quick examples. Luke 7, verse 39, 34, and then go to verse 39. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And go to verse 39 as well. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who was touching him that she is a sinner. So the Pharisees were looking on the outside and they were pointing out verbally and publicly pointing out the vulnerability of Jesus' circumstances. The interesting thing is Jesus never gave in to the fear of vulnerability. Ever. Yeah, the peer pressure didn't get him. Right. It wasn't 
there he had no peers and therefore there was no pressure <laughs> you know but it, it's so easy it was so easy though for those that were surrounding Jesus that were seeking him out to give in to the peer pressure yes. for for those sinners quote unquote to hear the words of the pharisees judging them saying well maybe i shouldn't be talking to him maybe i'm i'm ruining his reputation maybe i'm just not good enough and so you have that again that self-fulfilling prophecy but Jesus was able to stand above all of that and show each individual in their own sinful life that if they chose to follow him, their lives could actually become extraordinary. Not just regular, ordinary lives, but extraordinary. Not because they're great, but because God's grace in their life is great. But you have to be willing to open yourself up to that and, you know, that song, I am a rock, I am an island, I feel no pain. You've got to be willing to feel the pain of that experience. Let's go back to Brene Brown, the TED Talk that she gave on the price of invulnerability. Uh, and she is talking here in this, uh, this soundbite about the search for uh, the extraordinary. And so often we are missing what is truly important because we're on the quest for what is extraordinary not understanding that in our ordinary lives, in the ordinary moments of our lives, is really where we can find the most joy. One of the things that happens, I think, in our culture of scarcity is that we are constantly collecting images and messages and experiences. I think it's unconscious. I really don't think that we're aware of how many messages and images of scarcity that we collect every day. So, so Jonathan, we're, we're really breaking her up in, in a lot of pieces here because she has so much to say and it's so profound. But she said, you know, in the ordinary moments of our lives are where we can experience the most joy. That is profound. Because as a Christian, the ordinary moments of our lives, when we're dealing with going to work and doing the everyday tasks that we have to do, and we think, well, here I am stuck at this job, this dead-end job that I don't like, doing this dead-end work that I don't like to do to earn that dead-end paycheck that barely pays my bills so I can feed my dead-end life the dead-end results of the dead-end. <laughs> <laughs> How sad. <laughs> yeah, well, but see, we, we conjure up in our own minds all of that extra negativity. And what she's saying is it's the ordinary moments of our lives that can create the most joy. And how do you do that? You get through the vulnerability and say, you know what? God allows me to work in this dead-end job, so maybe it's not a dead-end after all. Maybe it's my way to glorify him with this day, with this moment. He's allowing me to earn a dollar. You know what I can do with that dollar? I can support my family. I can, I can give it to the poor. I can do whatever it is. I mean, you can change if you're willing to step out of the comfort of our own misery. And I think that the point of gratitude appreciating the little things yeah. can go a long way so that as every step goes by, you can appreciate more and more. Yeah, well, and you're right. And gratitude is going to, as we go through the program now, it's really going to start to accelerate its value in this, in this program. But, uh, you know, we've been talking about Zacchaeus and the grumbling crowd around him. So with that grumbling crowd in mind, let's go to our next step to true joy. Vulnerability always compounds when exposed to the barbs and actions of those who see you through the eyes of your shortcomings or their arrogance. The only way to truly cope 
is to face and look past their doubt-laden actions and to fix your gaze upon that which brings you joy. So you, we end up seeing our lives through their perception of us or through our actual weaknesses rather than seeing our lives as God would see our lives. And we become vulnerable because we see weakness. And weakness produces fear. And fear produces inaction. And inaction chases joy away. We've got to learn to look through those things, look past those things, and fix our gaze on that which would produce joy for us. And that's what Zacchaeus taught us to do with his experience. He didn't stop and think, oh, should I invite Jesus to the house because he said he wants to come over, or should I make an excuse? He didn't stop and think, what do I look like? I've been sitting up in a tree all morning waiting for him to come by. He didn't stop and think about that. He leapt at the opportunity to be face-to-face with Jesus. And folks, we can do that every day of our lives. What are we waiting for? Regarding the compounding vulnerability, and vulnerability does compound really easily, this next scripture can be seen as a lose-lose scenario. So, so we're going to show you how to make it even worse. Okay, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You sit over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So what you're doing is you are creating a position where each individual coming into your presence ends up entering a kind of vulnerability that they don't really need to be entering. Because when we enter the presence of Christ, we're all the same. We're all all equal. equal. But if somebody comes in and they're better dressed, we say, oh, well, let's put them in a place of higher honor. And somebody comes in and they don't have a lot... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe being next to them feels embarrassing to you. So you want to just sort of put them, put them aside. And, and, and James is saying, you can't be doing that. Stop looking on the outward appearance. Stop thinking like a Pharisee. That's really what he's telling us here. Because what we're doing is we're creating vulnerability for ourselves. The joy of Christ cannot dwell in us if we are judging others that way. So let's finish that verse, verse 5. Listen, my beloved. Brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? You know, and I think there's something special about those who don't have a lot in terms of being able to plow through their vulnerability. Because if you're not of high stature, the feeling of losing a lot is not there. So you may be better positioned to be able to find joy. Because you're thinking, you know what? I don't have so much to lose. But somebody who seems to have a lot, if, it, if, if, if it's taken over their minds and their hearts, then they're stuck with it. And, and you know, to become vulnerable is a hard, harder thing. That's interesting. Yeah, Good yeah. point. The reality here is that seeing beyond the judgments of men opens the door for joy to everyone involved. Let's go, let's go a little bit further with Brene Brown on the price of invulnerability. This is, very, this is a powerful, powerful thought. This is about selective numbness. All right, where is she? 
And so what are the consequences of numbing vulnerability? What are the consequences of trying to beat vulnerability to the punch? Here's the consequence to numbing that I've learned. You know, and I'm, as a vulnerability researcher, I've spent the first six years of my research studying shame, empathy, and courage, and the last four years studying joy, authenticity, love, and belonging. And one of the things that I learned that was very startling for me personally and everyone I've ever met is that you cannot selectively numb emotion. When we numb the dark emotion, when we numb vulnerability and fear and shame of not being good enough, we by default numb joy. Now that, that's a tough thing to deal with because you don't want to numb joy uh, because you want joy to be full. You want to feel it. You want to live it. But we try to numb the, the difficult things. And she's saying we can't do that. You can't do that. So don't take the chance that you will numb the joy in your life by trying to numb your vulnerability. And that's the lesson of Zacchaeus. He absorbed the vulnerability. He let it pour over him and stood before Jesus with a smile and with grace and with the dignity of a man who had just been sitting up in a tree. And you think about that, and it's a marvelous example of just seeing beyond those things. So let's go to another vulnerability bridge promise, and this promise has to do with the peace of God protecting and focusing us. Philippians 4, 4 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what this is saying is God wants us to have joy in our lives. Why do we spend so much time pining about being vulnerable? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? Coming up. What action do you take in the face of public criticism? What did Zacchaeus do? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today's episode is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our episode and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, we're going through the story of Zacchaeus. We're learning that embracing vulnerability is the pathway to true joy in your life. And this next part of the story, in my opinion, is the epitome of Zacchaeus embracing vulnerability. The absolute, this is, this, he goes way out into that vulnerable place. And as a result, he will be brought way into the arms of joy. Luke chapter 19, uh, verse, uh, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, 
I will pay back four times as much. So let's think about this. First of all, he speaks directly to Jesus. The crowd was just grumbling about him. He doesn't turn to the crowd and announce to the crowd. He doesn't defend himself to the crowd. He speaks directly to Jesus. And that speaks volumes. And what he's showing us is he's showing us what a sinner's repentant heart looks like. He is willing to help those in need and make right that which he had done which was wrong. And he was blanket statement willing to do it and he looks Jesus in the eye and he tells him that. Talk about being vulnerable. Wow. <laughs> and, and this is unexpected. This is not rehearsed. He didn't have time to think this through. He wasn't expecting to speak with Jesus, but this is what he does. So let's just take a look at, uh, at this. First of all, it says, you know, if I have defrauded anybody. Let, let's just touch on that because it, it, that's, that's, a, that's kind of an idiom of language. That is, so far as I have, for evidently the if is so used. And, that's, and the example for that is Philippians 4.8. You know, if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. Well, of course there's praise and virtue in these things. So the if really means so far as I have, so far as there is. So he's saying, yes, I have defrauded. I have done wrong. And then he says, I will restore their goods fourfold. Why does he say that? Let's go to Jameson, Fawson, and Brown on that. The Roman law required this. The Jewish law, but the principle and a fifth more from Numbers 5-7. There was no demand made for either, but as if to revenge himself on his hitherto reigning sin and to just testify of the change he had experienced, be besides surrendering the half of his fair gains to the poor, he voluntarily determines to give up all that was ill-gotten, quadrupled. He gratefully addresses this to the Lord to whom he owed the wonderful change. So the Roman law was what required a four times return of what you've taken uh, illegitimately. The, the Jewish law was just principle plus 20%. So he goes by the full extent of whatever law is, and to the Jews, the Roman law didn't mean a whole lot. You know, they, they, they focused on the Jewish law. So he stepped way beyond expectations. And nobody was saying, you need to pay us back with interest. This is pure, unadulterated repentance from Zacchaeus. He has stepped out into the realm of vulnerability in a huge, huge way here. And, and what joy did it bring him? <laughs> huge. And, and that's the point. He stepped right into the mud puddle, and you'd expect to come out all muddy, and somehow he comes out the other end... In, in a life of salvation. He's glowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. In the face of public ridicule, Zacchaeus does the right thing. He acknowledged his flaws, and this can make our feeling vulnerable even more acute. I mean, who wants to acknowledge... Okay, you know, you, you have flaws, but okay, I'll, I'll admit them quietly to myself. <laughs> he does it to everybody who's listening, wow. and he's committed to the reparations necessary to mend his past. More than what's necessary to mend his past, because he's going to give half of his money to the poor as well, so that his present could be open to the joy of following Jesus. He gets it, and he's willing to just be vulnerable to everyone, because Jesus Christ is standing right before him and saying, I'm coming to have dinner with you. I'm coming to be part of your life. 
think of his household and how it was received by them with joy also. Sure. As you know, it just was uh, contagious. Yeah. It, it and, just spread. And, and, and that will be revealed actually in the next segment is the, the magnitude of once you allow joy into your heart and your life by accepting the vulnerability to get there, you allow it to be in the lives of those around you as well. So this is an incredible, incredible step. So this step to true joy, Jonathan, is what? To face our fear of vulnerability is one thing. To commit to, commit to the joy that lies beyond it is another. The, this commitment requires, no surprise here, vulnerability and courage as this commitment also unlocks the floodgate of joy. All right. Facing our fear is one thing, but committing to the joy that's beyond it. And that's what Zacchaeus did here. That's another. And that's the secret. It's good to face your fears and face your vulnerabilities. Great. But that's the first part. Commit to the joy that's beyond it. Now, there's, there's, there can be pain with the joy that's beyond it. You know, we, we want to we wanna make sure we, 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 we lay that out very, very clearly. Let's go back to Brene Brown from her TED Talk on the price of invulnerability. And this portion, um, she is going to be talking about the sharp edge of joy. We cannot selectively just numb the dark emotions. We have interesting research around this. We have research that shows us in addiction studies that an intensely positive experience is as likely to trigger relapse as an intensely negative experience. Let me tell you, if vulnerability is a sharp edge, there may be nothing sharper than joy. To let yourself soften into loving someone, to caring about something passionately, that's vulnerable. So the question becomes, how do we embrace vulnerability? And here's what I learned from the research. We practice gratitude. We stop and be thankful for what we have. So she, she's developing even further, saying that while, while, while vulnerability has a very sharp edge, it's, it, the, the joy, the edge of joy is even sharper. And you think, come on, can you make it any harder? <laughs> but you know, Jonathan, joy is so transforming, it has to be hard to get to. Mm, good point. And, and, and so what she's saying is, if you accept that and you move forward anyway, and, you know, the sharp edge of joy with, with our own experience, with, that, with our own experience with Christian questions. We've been doing this for a very long time. And, you know, everything doesn't always go perfectly. And a lot of the, some of the feedback you get isn't great. And you're, you're vulnerable. Sure. But there is a great, great reward for staying the course and keep, when you keep on trying to get better. And there's this incredible joy that comes from being able to accept the difficulties, process them through the experience, and then try next time to just do better. And if you're involved in, 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 in talking about God's word, the joy, you can't help but be contaminated with it. It's just an <laughs> incredible thing. First Thessalonians 5, 15 to, everything, 15 to 18. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So she had talked about gratitude, being thankful for what we have, and this is a verse that really puts it in, in, in perspective. It talks about rejoicing always, and then it talks about praying without ceasing. 
See, you can't do one without the other. And then it talks about being having gratitude. So rejoicing, prayer, and thankfulness all work together, and they are the ingredients that bring us great, great joy in the service of God. Zacchaeus found that out, not because he was trying to figure it out, because the opportunity presented itself so he could see it. And he saw it, and he saw the vulnerability, and he chose to walk right through the vulnerability to find the joy. So let's go to another vulnerability bridge promise. Gratitude for forgiveness is a powerful place to begin receiving joy. Uh, This promise is from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And and we we really need to set some of the context uh, for this, this particular scripture, because the story of Nehemiah is a story of trial and difficulty, and in the end, it's a story of very, very, very great joy. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So with the story of Nehemiah, it's about the rebuilding of the walls of of Jerusalem and the trials and tribulations they had in, in rebuilding. Nehemiah headed up this project. And when they're getting to the point of having rebuilt them and having defended them in the process of rebuilding them, now they can uh, begin to worship God again. And the people are crying. And the reason they're crying is because they see how badly they had forgotten what was important. Again, they entered that point of vulnerability, which could have crushed the joy. But Nehemiah and Ezra said to them, look, stop with the crying. God understands our weaknesses. It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Don't ever forget that. They had to get through the vulnerability of their failure so they could experience the joy of the Lord. What a powerful, powerful uh, story, uh, that of, of Nehemiah. And again, dealing with the vulnerability in the context of joy. Let's go back to Brene Brown another time because she's brilliant. She just knows how to put this subject in order. And she spent a lot of time uh, with the sound bites we've been uh, going to so far talking about the ordinary. And again, here she's going back to your ordinary, quiet little life. I've interviewed a lot of people who have been through many horrific things, from genocide to trauma. And when you ask them what they need, they will tell you, I don't need your pity, I don't need your sympathy. I need, when you look at your children, I need to know you're grateful. I need to know that you know what you have. So to practice gratitude, to honor what's ordinary about our lives, because that is what's truly extraordinary. We can compete with the images from the media, from the news, from the scary shows on TV, with our own images of gratitude about what's ordinary in our lives, the people we love, our kids, our family, play, our community, and nature. 
These are things that happen every single day that we're so busy being afraid we're missing these. You know, and, and it, that's such a powerful thing. The to honor the ordinary is such a such a such an important part of our lives. To just honor that which is ordinary, because if you are called of God, there is no moment in your life that does not have extraordinary potential, because it is God working with you. Find the joy. Plow through that vulnerability. We are so busy, Jonathan, being afraid that we are missing the joy that surrounds us. And Rick, uh, who, um, where does fear come from? <laughs> fear, fear comes from, it comes from self-doubt. When we see what's around us and we decide that, okay, something needs to be done, or you, you, what we do is we doubt ourselves and we become afraid. Fear comes from the idea that I might fail. It comes from the idea that it's too big. It comes from the, the inability to see the end from the beginning. And a lot of us like that guarantee. Like, I'll do this if I know for sure that I can do it right. But we become afraid because we don't know for sure. So fear can only be replaced by faith and trust. You see, you put faith and trust in, in, in the place of fear, and suddenly it all changes. It's one of Satan's favorite tools. It is. It absolutely is. And he knows how to turn it on because he knows where we are weak. Zacchaeus put his fear aside just to catch a mere glimpse of Jesus and ended up living a transformed and joyful life. These next verses, we're going to be reading from Psalms 119, these verses typify the path that Zacchaeus was now on and the path that we ourselves should take. So Zacchaeus, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 119 Verses 57 to 64. These are a picture. Now, now, they're not meant to be a picture of Zacchaeus specifically, but they're a picture of dealing with the vulnerability of our lives and finding the joy and living the joy. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. So, so we can look at this like as the first step. The first step is attain by saying, I'm trying to follow your words. That's what, that's what Zacchaeus was telling Jesus. Verses 59 to 61. I consider my ways and turn my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me but I have not forgotten your law. So even though you're encircled by the cords of the wicked, even though the vulnerability is there, it says, I have not forgotten your law. And this is step two. First was attain. This is practice. And Zacchaeus said, this is what I will do, Lord. And he had to go put that into practice. And then step three comes from verses, Psalm 119, verses 62 to 64. At midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you, because of your righteous ordinances, I am a companion of all those who revere you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So this is step three is maintain. And what, how do you know that that's maintained? Because it says at midnight, at midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you at a time when nobody is looking at a time when I'm just left by myself. I will still maintain my attitude of gratitude. And in so doing, I can therefore maintain my joy. And folks, you see, you can't get to the joy unless you deal with the vulnerability, unless you deal with the fear. That's what's required of us. That's what we have to do. That's how we have to go. 
That's what the recipe is for finding true joy in our lives. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? Coming up, Zacchaeus promises to do what's right. How did Jesus respond? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is Your Heart Looking for Jesus? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, tonight it really is all about finding joy and being willing to work through the fear and the vulnerability. And just to illustrate that one more time, let's go back to Simon and Garfunkel with the, the last verse of that song, I Am a Rock. And listen to the words. Listen to the protectiveness and the tragedy of hiding from others. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that I've died if I never loved. Now that's tragic. That it is absolutely tragic to 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 have your life come to that. And the the lesson of Zacchaeus helps. Wait, us. wait a minute. There's no life there. Well, you're right. You're right. You you you've you've reduced it so that you can't feel pain. It's empty. And but what happens is you live in at what you determine to be an acceptable amount of pain, so you don't feel unexpected pain. Mm. And and it's 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 really tragic. You know, just just a quick side story. Uh, my daughter Emily is getting married this coming Saturday. Yes, she is. That's so wonderful. And you know, in her past, there have been sometimes difficult relationships. And I remember several years ago having a talk with her when she felt kind of like that, kind of like it just isn't 
worth it. <laughs> and oh, I remember having that, that conversation. But now, now there is joy in her life because when you find the right person and you let it have time to grow, it can be such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that goes for every relationship in our lives. But you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Let's go back to Zacchaeus, Luke 19, uh, verses 9 and 10. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So, typical Jesus again. He has read the heart of Zacchaeus. He knows of his sincerity. And therefore, Jesus plainly proclaims that Zacchaeus is now a follower and the truest kind of son of Abraham. He is a true son of Abraham because his heart is willing to deal with all of the stuff that people put in front of him because he sees the goal of Jesus. And what a beautiful example. That's how Jesus deals with, with, with Zacchaeus' vulnerability. And think of the peace he has in his life now yeah. more than ever before. There is not even a way to compare the two. Not even a remote way to compare the two because he sought before this, he sought to find happiness in riches. That's right. And what he found was emptiness. And now he finds joy in sacrifice. You can't find happiness in riches, but you can find joy in sacrifice. Galatians 3, 6-9 is showing us what true call of Christ Judaism was all about in those days. Even so, Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So Jesus said that, look, he is a true son of Abraham, this man Zacchaeus, and he has come to salvation. He has broken through a barrier that most of us just run away from. So that brings us to our final step to true joy for, for tonight's uh, program. Jonathan, what is it? Once our vulnerabilities are faced and dealt with, and once we have committed to living with righteousness and gratitude, a life driven by joy is now an open possibility. Grab hold of the joy that has been placed before you and let it rule. Yeah, you got to let it rip. You got to let it rule. But see, the thing is, joy is still an open possibility because we can, we can turn the joy off by giving into the vulnerability. That's right. And that's a constant struggle. And we just have to, we have to keep focused on, on, on working through that struggle. Once we hold the joy of the Lord in our hearts, it now powers us. It powers us through the darkest trials. Hebrews 12, uh, verses 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So if you want to see an example of somebody powered by joy, this is the verse. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did Jesus go through? Endured the cross. And he, looked, he made little of the shame. The shame is what broke his heart. But he, he, he said, look, 
It's worth it for the joy of serving my Father. And now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy can power us through those very, very difficult experiences. And you know, one last time to Brene Brown and, and, and her TED Talk on the price of invulnerability. Uh, again, a lot of times we want guarantees in our lives. And you know what? Sometimes there just isn't a guarantee. I just want to say that, and I'm a parent and I'm a vulnerable person too, but I really believe, you know, we want more guarantees. We want to believe we're not going to get hurt and that bad things are not going to happen, and they are. But there is a guarantee that no one talks about that, and that is that if we don't allow ourselves to experience joy and love, we will definitely miss out on filling our reservoir with what we need when those hard things happen. So the guarantee is if we cower through the vulnerability, we won't be able to fill the reservoir. It just takes that strength and that gratitude and that courage to take those steps because the joy is so great. We don't want to be that rock and that island from that song that we just heard a few minutes ago. No, no, but I know we wore armor, but if you had the armor <laughs> of God, it would be the right armor. That's right, that's right. You, you have to wear <laughs> only the right armor yes. because that, what, what they were talking about in the song is, the, is arming themselves against the armor of God. It's, exactly. It's like saying, I, I, I am this, this, this completely independent individual. I need nobody. I need nothing. Nonsense. We all are, need one another. That's why, that's why Christianity is viewed as a body the body of Christ. It is interactive. The parts are interactive. They depend on one another. And without that interdependence, there is no joy. One more vulnerability bridge promise. Uh, and, and this promise has to do with recognizing the foundations of joy. Psalm 16, 8 and 9. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. So the foundation for joy is having the Lord always before me. And again, that's what Zacchaeus showed us in his example. He didn't give his, his reasoning to the crowd. He gave it directly to Jesus. He looked at Jesus. He spoke to Jesus because Jesus was the only one he sought to, he, that he was looking to please. Because he knew that Jesus would be his, his judge. And Jesus would be his mentor. And Jesus would be his strength. And Jesus would be his joy. So he worked through the embarrassments and the trouble and his past. And he found true joy. A joyful life that is based in godliness is a life of strength, courage, and vision. And that life is unshakable. And, and Jonathan, what a, it just, it just, it's so inspiring to me to, when, to, to look at this uh, this way. We want to wrap up the program by going through the Beatitudes. But we want to go through the Beatitudes with Zacchaeus in mind. So let's take the Beatitudes one at a time and just drop in on the Zacchaeus experience. Because the Beatitudes really are about the joy of the Lord. It's about being blessed of God and living in that blessing and having the joy of living there power us through our experiences. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Zacchaeus became a humble man when faced with Jesus. And the humility just poured out of him because he understood the power of Jesus. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, when you think about it, he would have, when he told Jesus what he was going to do to rectify his past life, he would have looked back over what he had done with that mournful sadness and said, look at what I have done. Look at the pain that I have caused. I have to make this right. And not only am I going to make it right, I'm going to make it right to the Roman extent of the law. Four times. And that's where the comfort came from. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek means to be teachable. Zacchaeus was teachable. When Jesus said to him, come down from that tree, I'm going to dine with you today. Zacchaeus came down from that tree, didn't make an excuse, and said, if that's what Jesus wants, that's what Jesus gets. He was teachable instantly. It didn't matter how awkward he might have felt. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, it's interesting in the life of Zacchaeus, before this, you may not have seen him hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But the fact that he went to the length of climbing the sycamore tree to see Jesus tells you that he was missing something in his life. It tells you that he needed something bigger and better to be about and all he wanted to do was see Jesus. He hungered and thirsted after what, Jesus ha- after what Jesus had to give. He didn't expect Jesus to talk to him. He just wanted to see him. What a powerful, powerful thought. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Sometimes we get filled with that when we don't expect it. And that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And what did he say he was going to do for the poor? Give half of his goods? Yep. He was being merciful. He didn't cheat the poor. But he saw the character, the teaching, and the direction of Jesus. And his immediate response was, I want to be like that man. And so he immediately put mercy on and began to wear it as a a comfortable garment for his life. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. So, again, the pure in heart, remember what Zacchaeus means? It means pure. And I think that really drives home the message and the point of using Zacchaeus as an example of how to get to true joy. The pure in heart can see God. And how do we see God? I mean, you know, there's another scripture that says no man can see God and live. How do we see God? We see God through Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see God through how we help others. We see God through the Christ-likeness of others in our lives. That's how we can see God. We can see God through nature. We can see God through overrulings. There's lots and lots of ways to see him, but you're not going to be looking for him unless you um, have that pure heart that wants to see him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's interesting in, in the story of Zacchaeus, you say, well, where does he become a peacemaker? He doesn't argue with the crowd. He doesn't say, well, look, you know, I'm a tax collector. What do you want from me? He doesn't say, all the other tax collectors do it. I had to do it. He doesn't make excuses. He makes peace with the crowd 
by addressing his faults to Jesus. So in a sense, he is a peacemaker in, in his experience. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they grumbled at him, didn't they? They did. They persecuted him. And they also would grumble when Jesus would spend time with people of this kind, this sort of person. Why would Jesus spend time with those people? They're sinners. Yeah, right. Exactly. Hello. (laughs) They are willing to be vulnerable and they're willing to find joy. So he was persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So that's an interesting way to end those Beatitudes, because what it's saying is rejoice and be glad. Have joy and be glad. Now, again, it's not that you're happy with persecution, but we can have joy in persecution and be glad because there's a wonderful reward and you are now experiencing the same type of thing that the prophets of God experienced because they were persecuted. They were looked down upon. They were made fun of. They were ridiculed because whenever there was a prophet on the scene, it wasn't because Israel was doing a good job. No, it wasn't. It was for them to tell them to straighten up. Right, and they had to put them through the vulnerability of saying things are wrong. They need to be made right before God. What will you do about it? Here's what God has said. So we can't find the joy of the Lord to have it be our strength unless we follow the path that Zacchaeus followed, and that was to walk through the vulnerability, the anxiety of, the anxiety of it all, and the awkwardness of feeling vulnerable to find the joy. A couple of final scriptures, Jonathan, as we attempt to look at our lives through the eyes of being strong in our facing our vulnerability. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now, look, that doesn't mean that I can dunk a basketball, okay? <laughs> I can assure you I can't. But it does mean is I can rise to whatever level I need to rise to be righteous and godly in God's sight through Christ. Not because I'm strong, but because he's strong. And one last verse, Proverbs 17:22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine. And that's really what this couple of hours has been about. It has been about the joyfulness of our hearts as we attempt to follow after Christ. And how do we do that? Well, based on tonight's discussion, it's follow the path that Zacchaeus followed. Do you have to go climb a tree? No, but you have to be willing to go and and be vulnerable the way Zacchaeus was vulnerable and and present yourself before the Lord. And if the Lord sees you, jump down, enthusiastically embrace his guidance and direction for you even if it's embarrassing, even if it causes anxiety and and, and trouble inside your heart because joy is on the other side. And the joy of the Lord can be your strength. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then, is your heart looking for Jesus? Is it looking for true joy? Till next week, think about it.